Welcome back to our Christmas series, Songs of the Savior. We've been featuring a Christmas hymn every week and then showing how that Christmas hymn isn't just a fun tune with a nice melody. Uh, These Christmas hymns are important to us because they shine the spotlight on different parts of the Christmas story. And each week we've been taking a, a Christmas hymn and using it to shine the lights brightly on a part of the Christmas story. Today, we're going to shine the lights on the story of the wise men. And to do that, we're going to use the Christmas song, What Child Is This? And I just want you to see the opening verse to What Child Is This? It asks an important question. What child is this? Who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. It starts off with a very simple yet profound question. What child is this? What is so special about this child? When, when parents are in the, in the birthing room and a child is born, uh, if, if you've experienced that, if I could just kind of be honest with you, uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of messy and gross, and, and it's, it's one of those things where it's supposed to be this uh, amazing thing, and it is, but it, it, it's, it's kind of a mess, and when the, when the baby comes out, uh, and you hold the baby, and they clean the baby off, and all of that, if, if that's your first child, it's maybe not what you expect, when you get to two or three, you kind of know what's coming, uh, but even in that moment, in all the mess and, and, and all the stuff, uh, the pain, all of that, when, when you hold your child, it, that, that child is the most beautiful child you've ever seen, right? That baby is the most beautiful thing you've ever laid eyes on. And what I've noticed about parents is this. Your child is the most special, the most beautiful child that has been born in that, in that hospital, right, ever. And uh, we, we do that. That's, that's normal that... When your child is born, this is the most beautiful baby I've ever, I've ever seen. But what's so special about this baby? What child is this? What makes this child so, so special? In, in the third verse of the song, What Child Is This?, they highlight, they shine the lights on the story of the wise men. And they do so by talking about the incense and the gold and the myrrh that the wise men brought. And, and we're going to talk about that this morning. And it begs the question, why would they do that? Why, why would these wise men come from Persia? These, uh, these guys make such a long journey and bring such precious gifts to give to a child. Why would they bow down and worship a child? What child is this? What is so special about this child, and the chorus of the song answers the question. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him laud or praise, honor, the babe, the son of Mary. What's so special about this child? This child is the king. And what we're going to, dis- to discover this morning as, as we study the, the, the story of the wise men, and we're going to talk about some other things, that this king calls you and me to change. It's not just the gospel of salvation and forgiveness from sin, which is super, super important, but we're going to talk about this gospel of Jesus Christ and how he calls, as king, he calls you and I to change. In the New Testament, there's this, this verse we're going to talk about at the beginning, and we're going to talk about it at the end. 
Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That's a change word. Be changed by the renewing of your mind. A new way of thinking that leads us into a new way of living. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the result of this is that you and I, we will know and approve and surrender ourselves to the will of God, which is good. It's pleasing and it's perfect. What's so special about this child? Born 2,000 years far away in, in this town of Bethlehem. This child is the king of kings and we're gonna discover this morning is this king is calling you and calling me to change. And I know when you hear that, you get super excited because we love change. We love change. We, we love to change our plans. We love to change our minds. We love to change our opinions. We love to change our attitudes. I know personally, I love it when Walmart changes my pickup order. I ordered this, but I gave you this instead. Love that. We love... This has happened two years in a row now. It doesn't happen every year, but every, what, five, seven years, something like that, uh, Christmas falls on a Sunday, or Christmas Eve this, this year falls on a Sunday. And when Christmas or Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, we love to change our traditions. It doesn't cause any tension in the family or in the church, right? We love it. I can't believe we're having Christmas Eve on a Sunday morning. Yes, we are. <laughs> and we're going to have a great morning. And you're going to love it. We get all tingly and excited when we hear the word change. Now, if sarcasm is not your love language, which I know it's not everyone's, <laughs> you might be confused right now because the truth is we don't. We don't get super jazzed about change, especially, especially if it costs us something, if, if change costs us time, if, if change costs us money, if change costs us status, or maybe a desire, something that we, that we want. If change costs us something, we don't typically love it. And I think that's why the story of the wise men is really going to be helpful to us today. Think about the, the wise men. How, how many of you have a nativity set in your home? In your, in your home, okay. Most of us have a nativity set, at least one, in, in our home. Uh, we have, at our house, we have several from around the world we have one that we got in Mexico. It's beautiful. It's, it's hand-painted, very vibrant colors on it. It's really pretty. We have a couple from Africa, uh, two different places in Africa, and they have a, a very different creative design to them, but they're beautiful. Uh, in, in our one living room, we have a, uh, a willow tree, a uh, nativity set. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, it looks like it's... it's Wood car. I don't think there's someone like whittling those. They're, they're quite beautiful. There's probably a machine that does those. But it's quite a beautiful nativity set. And it just has a different creative design to it. And what I've noticed uh, about these different nativity sets, my sister has uh, a, a porcelain, a white, uh, very shiny porcelain one that was my mom's, it was my grandmother's. She has it displayed. And even though it looks creatively uh, much different from, from all these different wooden ones that I've just described, they all have the same characters, the same main characters in, in, the, in the nativity scene. And they, at the center is, is Mary and Joseph and, and the baby. Now, in this particular 
you know, slimmed down version of the, the nativity set, uh, scene, you'll notice that the creative decision of this artist was to make all the animals miniature. And so there's a tiny little cow and some miniature sheep over there. It's not the scale at all, right? But that was the creative decision of whoever designed this one. But it, it, at the center is, is Mary and Joseph and the baby. And then typically in your nativity set, however it's creatively designed, you've got the shepherds and you've got some animals. Maybe yours are more to scale than this one. You have the animals. And then in the peripheral, you usually have the wise men. And there's normally a, cam a camel or something like that with the wise men. And what's interesting about having the wise men is part of the nativity set is they weren't there. They weren't there that night that Jesus was born. Uh, they would have uh, shown up uh, probably months up to maybe even more than a year later. And it's fine. You don't have to change your nativity. You don't have to pull the wise men out of your nativity and put it back in the box. I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying that uh, the, the wise men are part of this story even if they weren't even if they weren't there that particular specific night of his birth. And what I've noticed about the wise men and their story, and we're going to read it together this morning, what I've noticed about their story is we have a tendency. You might know the story of the wise men, and I think we have this tendency to focus on certain parts of their story more than others. We have a tendency, I think, over the years to focus on uh, their long journey that they made or on the miracle prophecy star that they saw and followed, or maybe the interaction with Herod. Uh, certainly, you, if you've been to church around Christmas time uh, more than once in your life, you, you uh, I'm sure, have heard uh, a sermon about the three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, and the significance, and the meaning, and the symbolism of those things. And those are all really good, important things to know. But what I, what I think maybe we haven't focused on so much is what happened after. And so what I'd like this morning to do is to change our focus. We're going to change what we focus on in their story and, and talk a little bit about how their plans were changed by God. After, after this whole episode, they bring the, the, the gifts. Well, let's read it. If you go to Matthew chapter 2, you start in verse 10. This is the, the kind of things we, we typically focus on. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. They saw the star. They were filled with joy. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary. And they, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. They opened their gifts, their, their, their treasure chests. And, and they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And this is the scene that we have in our minds when we look at the nativity set. But look at verse 12. When it was time to leave, when that whole thing was over, they returned to their own country by a different route. No, that's not normal. If you go somewhere and you have a route that you travel, the normal thing is to go back the way because you, you most likely pick the best route to get there. Why would that change going back? You most likely pick the fastest route, the most efficient route. And I'm sure they did. These are wise men. And when it came time to leave, they returned to their own country by a different route. Why? God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. God told them to change their plans. And they listened. And I wonder what that conversation leading up to that decision might have been like between the wise men. Maybe it sounded something like this. 
What child is this who lay to rest On Mary's lap is sleeping can't go back. Not this way. But this is the way that we came. I know. And it will take us directly to Herod. Just as he asked us to do. No. Won't do it. We've got to protect this child. Protect him? From whom? We all observed Herod's reaction when we told him of our intentions to go visit this newborn messiah. He told us to return to him to report what we saw. That's what we're doing. It is the way that he wanted information assuring us that he was going to worship this newborn king. Did you see his eyes? Did you see Herod's eyes? Mm, they were dead. He's not known for his warmth. Besides, changing course will add three months to the journey. Friends, please, listen to me. Those who came before us were shown the scriptures by Daniel, of course. And we have studied these scriptures. We've weighed them. We've found everything that there is to find. But we discovered faith. We followed a dazzling star for months. That takes faith. Yes, yes, that is faith, yes. But consider this. We are kingmakers. We have inherited the power to give authority and rule for generations, yes? Yes. I believe that today, today, we have found the one whom I believe we will bow to. What child is this? To whom kingmakers bow? This changes everything. This child threatens Herod. Threatens all who worship power. Oh, no. We are not going to change our plans just because you have some uninformed I had that. a vision. Go on. A dream. Last night. I thought it was just fatigue settling in. But now I know it was a warning to not return to Herod. You might have mentioned this a bit earlier, friend. You are right. This changes everything. Yes, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds, God, and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him up, the sound of Mary. Well, obviously we can't know if that's exactly how that conversation went, but what we do know is that God called them to change their plans. And they trusted God to make that change. I know when I'm, when I'm traveling, if I use Apple Maps or whatever it is that you use, what happens is you put that destination that you want to go to into your phone, and there are usually two or three suggested routes. And I always pick fastest route. And I'm sure that these guys had done something similar. They wanted to get the most efficient way possible. And so changing their plans cost them something. When, when we were traveling home not too long ago from Lancaster, we were visiting our daughter, Hannah, in Lancaster. And uh, it's, I don't know, 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, something like that. And 
uh, we were on 283 to get to the, to the turnpike, and it detoured us off, like a 20-mile detour, and I was super grumpy about it. And it wasn't because the town that we went through wasn't nice. It was a quaint little pretty town. And I'm sure that there was a good reason why on uh, the highway 283, why they uh, shut it down and, and forced us 20 miles out of our road to make this uh, loop. I'm sure there was a good reason for it, but I didn't like it. I didn't like that change because it cost me something. It cost me time. It cost me money. Ooh, it cost me control. If we want to be real personal about uh, this, these wise men, we, we can think about them from ancient days and wonder, were they reluctant? We can, uh, we can wonder, were they hesitant? Were they joyfully obedient? I don't know. All I know is that they were called by God to change, and they trusted him to change. And I think about that in my own personal life and in, in our modern context there are changes that happen in our lives that you didn't ask for. Changes that happen in our lives that we didn't want. There are things that God calls us. We read his word. We, uh, maybe throughout the week we come and we listen to a sermon. There are things that God calls us. We know he's wanting us to change something. You feel it. You know it. You know what it is. And we make excuses sometimes and we hesitate and we push back. Because we don't want to change. Because it's going to cost us something. I wonder how often when King Jesus calls you and I to change that we, that we joyfully obey or that we push back, make excuses. And I can't answer that for you. I'm, I'm working through that in my own life. I'd like to share with you two stories this morning about two men that Jesus called to change. The king called these two men to change. And we're going to look at their stories and see how they responded to this call of King Jesus to change something in their lives. And what I'd like for you to do is not just observe the two stories, not just observe the two men. But keep in the forefront this question. If King Jesus is calling you to change, are you going to trust him enough to obey, to follow, to, to make that change, especially if it costs you something? Go to Luke chapter 18 with me. The story of two men starts in, in chapter 18 of Luke. The first man we're going to look at is this young ruler, and he's wealthy. In verse 18, it says he's identified in the New Living as a religious leader. Uh, you might have a little different description of him in the NIV or, or a different version. Later on, we find out he's not just uh, a, a religious leader or a ruler. He's quite wealthy. One day, he, this, this young religious leader, this wealthy young man, came to Jesus, and he asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. You know the Ten Commandments. And the man replied, listen to this. I, I've obeyed all of those since I was young. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm perfect when it comes to these things. 
And Jesus heard this answer. Now, this is fascinating. He comes to Jesus, and according to him, he's like 99% perfect, but there's something missing. He's like, I don't know what it is. I'm doing all this stuff, but there's something, there's something that doesn't settle right with me. I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm right with God. Am I missing something? Is there something else I need to do to be right with God? When Jesus heard his answer, remember, Jesus is God, and so he can see the man's heart, and he identifies, yeah, you think you're perfect or near perfect. I, I know exactly what your heart problem is. Here's, here's what you're missing. You ready? Jesus answered, or heard his answer, and he said, there's, there's still one thing. <laughs> you're not perfect. There's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And look at his response. The man heard this, and he became very sad. You might have the, the phrase, he grieved. In, in Matthew's account of this story, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says he, he, he went away grieving. He, he went away with sadness in his soul. Why? Because he was very wealthy, and he was unwilling to change. Jesus identified something in his heart that needed to change. You have this unhealthy desire for wealth and everything that comes with it, all the possessions and identity and all these things. You have this unhealthy desire for this stuff, young man, and you change. But he didn't want to. He went away, sad. Jesus called on him to change his love for, his dependence on material possessions, to, to change the object of his worship, the source of his courage. And really, when you get down to it, Jesus was calling on him to change the source of his identity. But he went away sad, unwilling to change. Here's the second man. So, tale two, uh, two men. Second man, man, next chapter. Chapter 19. A man named Zacchaeus. You ready? Chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, made his way through the town, and there was a man in Jericho named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he was very rich. He was a very wealthy man. So there's some similarities between the two men. We don't know if uh, Zacchaeus was old or younger. It doesn't really matter. But we know that they had this in common. They both had great wealth. But the difference between the two men is the, the guy that we just looked at was a good guy. He was a good man. He was someone that, uh, who, who did all the right things. If you were to look at him, if you were to know him, you think, this guy's got it together. I think Pastor Caleb would have really liked the, the first guy. He would have had really clean hands from all the ritual washing that he would have done because he, was, he took his faith seriously. And then you get Zacchaeus. He's, the, he's ahead over the tax collectors. Now, tax collectors were notorious for uh, cheating people and, and extorting people taking more than what they should and then pocketing the extra. They, and, and they were seen as traitors from, from the, their fellow Jews. It was, they were not good people. At least they were not perceived that way. In fact, when you read on in the story, we'll, we'll, just, uh, we'll see another description of him later. So uh, he's, we know he's wealthy. We know he's a tax collector. Verse 3, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but we also find out he's, he's short. 
and so he can't see over the crowd. Verse 4, he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree beside the road, the road that they were on, because Jesus was going to pass by that way. And if you could just imagine this in your mind, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down, come down, I'm, I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Now watch this. But the people who were following Jesus that day, they didn't think this was such a good thing. The people were displeased, which is a really polite way of saying they, they were disgusted that Jesus would go spend time with Zacchaeus? Why? Well, it says the people were displeased he has, this is what they said, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. That's how he's known. A notorious sinner. And they were grumbling about it. They didn't think it was right. Zacchaeus doesn't deserve to spend time with Jesus. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and, and we see a change in him. So we, we don't have all the information about how the conversation went or what happened during the dinner. We don't have all of that. But there's something that happens as Jesus and Zacchaeus interact where we see a transformation. We see a radical change. Zacchaeus says, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. If I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give back four times as much. Now, is this just something where Zacchaeus is saying this to look good in front of people? I don't think so. I think Jesus would have picked up on that. You got the guy over here in chapter 18 who looks like he has it all together and because Jesus is God is able to say, actually, you're not perfect. Here's an area of your life that needs to change. If Jesus can perceive that, we know that Jesus could have perceived if this guy was just blowing smoke, if he's just trying to say things to look good in front of the crowd. So how does Jesus respond? Zacchaeus makes this claim, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor, I'm going, to, I'm going to pay back people I cheated, and Jesus responds, salvation has come to this home today. This man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. It wasn't just his desires that changed, it wasn't just his priorities that had changed that day. It wasn't just uh, what he valued that changed, his identity changed. His identity changed that day. That's what Jesus is getting to. You, he's saying to the, the people, you, you guys look at him a certain way, that's not who he is now. Because salvation has come to him. And then Jesus makes this comment in verse 10. The son of man, Jesus, he came to save those who are lost. What did Jesus call him to change? Well, it seems like a lot. He's described as a notorious sinner. But he trusts Jesus enough to change his desires, his priorities, his attitudes, his dependence on material possessions, his identity. Listen, both, both men were, were called by Jesus to change. But the young ruler didn't want to. He walked away. What was the result? He walked away sad. He walked away defeated. He walked away with with grieving in his soul. Zacchaeus decided that he would trust Jesus enough to change. And, and, and how did he leave the scene? He, he was excited. 
He had joy in his soul. He had, he had satisfaction. He had this new confidence in this new identity in who he was in Jesus. And you think about what happened in, I'll call him Zach, in, in Zach's life. Uh, it's very countercultural to what you and I experience in modern day. If someone were to say to you, hey, less stuff equals more joy. Is that, is that what we hear? That's certainly not what I hear in all the Christmas commercials. Less stuff equals more joy. That's not, that's not typically their pitch. Our world tries to convince us to chase after wealth and more stuff, to hold on to treasure like a pirate. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, actually, let me... Let me change that. Let me change the way you look at this stuff. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because that's eternal. And, and then he says, he follows it up with, trust me for what you need in this life. Well, we have to make a decision. We read things like that in the word of God. We read the things that Jesus said, like don't get so focused on the stuff here. I'll take care of you. I'll make sure you have what you need. Store up treasure in heaven. We hear Jesus say that, but we have to make a choice. The same way that the, the two men in our story had to make a choice. Am I going to change the way that I, that I see what I need in life? Am I going to change the way that I see possessions and wealth and, and my identity and all of these things? Am I going to change, trust Jesus enough to let him change that in me? You have to make that choice. I have to make that choice, along with many, many others. The wise men traveled a long way with, with precious gifts, and, and, and they presented them to a child. They bowed down and worshiped a child, and, and the scene forces us to ask the question, why would they do that? What, what child is this? What is so special about this child? And the answer's in the psalm, the answer's in the scripture. This child is the king, the king of kings. And the king calls us to change. Go back to Romans 12 too. Don't conform any longer to the pattern, the, the way of thinking in this world. Instead, be transformed, be changed by the renewing, a new way of thinking, the renewing of your mind. The king is calling us to change, not just calling us to salvation, which is super important, not just calling us to forgiveness of sins so we can be made right with God, which is eternally significant, but the gospel also calls us to transformation of the heart, to a change in our lives. And if we make this very, very personal, we have to each ask, what is the king calling me, calling you to change? Maybe it's like the wise men where Jesus is, is calling you to change the pathway you've been traveling, not the physical road you're traveling, but just the way you're living your life. Maybe you've been living your life far from God. Maybe you've been drifting day by day, little by little, farther and farther away from the Lord. And I just want you to hear it doesn't matter how far you've drifted. It doesn't matter how long you've been running away from God. The mercy and grace of God are in open arms with tears welled up in his eyes, hoping you will come home.
Yes, to forgive you of sin. Yes, to give you hope beyond the grave, but to transform your heart, to change your life. And I look at these two men. The, the, the young ruler was living a good life. Let's say he was 99.9% perfect. And yet he still didn't have peace in his soul. He didn't have peace about eternity. Because he thought being right with God was found in living a perfect life. And it didn't take long for Jesus to say, actually, you're not perfect. He found the flaw pretty quickly. Well, if, if someone who is 99.9% .9 perfect isn't right with God, what hope do, do I have? What hope do you have? And that's the point of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that's why Jesus came to the earth. Because we cannot be good enough. Because we desperately need the grace and mercy of God. We need the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross to pay our sin debt for us. We need the perfect righteousness of Jesus to be applied to our bankrupt account with God. And that only happens by faith. And I'm not saying that it doesn't matter how we live. It absolutely matters how we live. Because the gospel is a gospel of change. But we don't live, quote, good lives in order to be made right with God. No, we live changed lives because Jesus has made us right with God through faith in him. It's a big difference. This young ruler looked like he had it all together. He was living a morally good life. We look at Zacchaeus from chapter 19. That guy's a spiritual train wreck. And yet, who said yes to Jesus? Who experienced transformation in his life? It was Zacchaeus. Not the guy you would expect. And maybe the king is calling you to a changed heart today. And you might be the last person on the planet that anyone you know would expect. So what? If Jesus is calling your heart to change, it means that he's the one who can change it. And he wants to. You just have to trust him. Maybe that's not what Jesus is calling you to change. You've already said yes to Jesus as your savior. But maybe there are things that you know, you know that he's calling you to change. You felt it. You've, you've read through the scripture maybe or you've heard a sermon or, or maybe something during the week and you, you've heard the Holy Spirit in, in your soul say, uh, you need to change that. Maybe it is like these two guys here, the way you view material possessions. Maybe there's something that needs to change in the way you've been treating your spouse. Maybe something needs to change in where you go for comfort. Maybe something needs to change in where you go to find value or your identity. Maybe something needs to change in the way that you've been handling stress. We all experience stress. Doesn't mean the way you're handling it is the right way. Well, maybe Jesus is calling you to change that. Maybe it is something in, in not just behavior, but just in, in the way you think and in, in your attitude. I, I know for me, I can tell you that this past year, 
Specifically, the king has, has been calling my heart to change when it comes to a specific attitude. I remember back at the end of last year, the beginning of 2023, I just felt like the Lord was, was pressing on my heart that I needed to change what I'll describe to you as an attitude of discontent. And it would, it would express itself in complaining. That's, the, that's what I heard coming out of me. Just complain after complain after complaint. And I felt the Lord lean heavy on me, said, this has got to stop, this has to change. There's an attitude of discontent in you that needs to change. And so I began to pray about that. And that's been my, my goal in 2023, would be a, a year of nothing but gratitude comes from my lips. Not one complaint all year, that was my goal. And I wish I could say I was 99.9% successful. I, was not, I have not been. Right? But I can tell you this, Jesus has been working on my heart and he's been changing that in significant ways. And here's the really good news, he's not done with me yet. The king isn't done with me yet. And guess what guys, he's not done with you yet either. He's not done with you. You might be, and there might be, I don't know, there might be someone sitting here thinking, I am 99.9% perfect. I think I could pretty quickly find your flaw if you think that about yourself. You might be nailing it spiritually, and that's amazing. If you are, if you're following Jesus and, and, and doing all the right stuff, awesome, keep it up. But that doesn't mean that the king is done with you. There are still things in our lives the king wants to change. And we have to make a decision every day. Am I gonna let the king, am I gonna trust the king enough to let him change me, to change my plans, to change my desires, to change my attitudes? Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. The king's not done with you. Do I trust the king enough to change? Ready? Dot, dot, dot. Even if it costs me something. 